Hey everyone, and welcome to The Rational Republican, a podcast where we look at complex issues facing us here in Oregon and around the nation. We'll try to address issues from a nonpartisan perspective and view our disagreements through a lens of respect rather than tribalism or divisiveness. I'm James Ball. This is Nick Perlosky. Hey listeners, how we doing? Today's podcast is brought to you by ProLift Garage Doors. ProLift is your one-stop shop for residential and small commercial garage doors from openers, springs, and rollers to full reinstalls. They offer same-day service on all garage door repairs with no extra charge for evenings or weekends. Serving the greater Portland metro area, call today and set up your free estimate at 503-558-6349 or at proliftdoors.com slash Portland. Again, that's 503 558 6349 or slash Portland. On this episode of the podcast, we have Angela Plowhead here, who is running for Congress in CD6, the brand new district. So, Angela, first of all, welcome to the show. Thank you. And second of all, I'd like to apologize real quick to our listeners for the sound quality. Uh, we made it all the way down here to Salem to talk to Angela and realized that I forgot a significant component to the podcasting and so we're using the uh the computer's uh microphone so apologies for that i mean um, we normally sound like us anyway so if listeners right. are comfortable listening to us drone on about stuff it's not, it's gonna right. be the sound quality is worse but if you're putting up with us to begin <laughs> <laughs> i'll try i'll try to clean it up in post but we'll see how how that does but yeah so angela so thanks so much again for coming on again Absolutely. um and uh, so you're running for Congress. Uh, you, you and Nick were talking about this before we got on the air, but I want you just give two minutes to to talk about who you are and how you got involved in politics. Have you run for anything before? You know, what was your, your prior involvement before uh, going for this new congressional district? Yeah. So um, I, I guess really it starts with me being a veteran. So I was an intelligence analyst in the Air Force and my husband and I met in the Air Force about six weeks after I joined and then <laughs> got married two and a half months later. And we've been married for 25 years. Um, right. We wow. have two children, ages eight and 13. You know, once I'm convinced of something, I'm convinced and I stick with it. So that's a facet of my personality that I think is is just kind of there and that I think will lend well to um, being in politics. So I'm teachable. I learn. I love to, to know more stuff. I love to seek out information. And as an analyst, by training, um, that really kind of set up what I did in my the rest of my career, which after the Air Force, I got my graduate degree in clinical psychology. And so I'm a doctor of psychology. And I own a small practice. Um, I did that beginning in 2014 after about 12 years altogether in the VA. And so my heart for veterans is definitely there and something that I've continued to try and do and to serve and to um, advocate for. And so I'm also a GERO psychologist. So I primarily see older adults. And I have been an advocate for seniors and people with disability um, since I opened, well, even before I opened my practice, I did that in the VA as well, but have done that politically since 2014 as an advocate. And so lots of lobbying of legislature around those kinds of issues, um, both here at the state level as well as working at the the county level and then also advocating at the national level Got for it. those issues. So I mentioned we're here in Salem. Do you know happen to know Satya Chandragiri? I sure do. Yeah, he he came on the podcast uh, way way back at the beginning a couple yeah, years he was ago. Like, and, like five or something. Yeah. Like that. So um, 
Yeah, I, I just you're going through your your bio, and it's very similar to to his, you know, working with veterans and and whatnot. Um, He's actually endorsed me. Oh, good, very cool, very cool. Yeah, no, Sachi is great. Um, saw him at the because uh, I ran into you at the the platform convention in Bend, mm-hmm. and Sachi was out mm-hmm. there too. So yeah, that mm-hmm. was that was good times. I feel like honestly, that's it's a good opportunity to to kind of bring up. There is a. Anytime there's a mass shooting in particular, your Republicans like to focus on, like, we need to focus on mental health. The left says, we just need to ban guns, just period, full stop. It's like, all right, well, I don't think that's going to happen. And the right says, what we need to do is focus on mental health, because there's a lot of underlying issues that come up with each different... And I feel like that's one of the things that we, as a party, are have not been super great on. I feel like that that's one of the things that we are... We talk about it, and then nothing ever really gets nothing done. Nothing ever really happens, yeah. yeah. And so I, it's it's wonderful to see somebody who's got, uh, similar to Dr. Shanjagiri, somebody who's got a background in working with individuals on issues that can be a lot more difficult to talk about than just, you know, hey, my taxes are too high. I want to vote for a Republican because he said he's going to lower the taxes or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I think it's going to be a really interesting lens into, you know, how the, how, how you focus on campaigning, how you focus on legislation. Mm-hmm. Um, are there any issues... You know, here in CD6, and it's, mm-hmm. you know, brand new infancy that specifically relate to mental health that you're kind of like, this is something that needs to be addressed at a federal level. And the representation that we've got now is falling asleep at the wheel. Yeah. So there are a number of issues related to mental health. You know, it certainly creeps into a lot of the issues that we have with homelessness, but it's very prevalent in our youth. So it's very much an issue in what's happening in schools right now. So Oregon is 50 out of 50 for Oregon um, actually addressing mental health issues and for prevalence of mental health. And this is in the nation. So Hmm. we are last. (laughs) We couldn't be any lower um, for our ability to address and actually treat mental health issues. And so part of that is because there are a lack of providers. So one issue that can happen federally is that Medicare can change who they accept as providers. Okay. Very simple fix is so right now, um, Medicare as a mental health provider can only be billed if you are a licensed clinical social worker, a psychologist, or a psychiatrist, but they don't accept any other master's level therapist. And so there's also lots of peer supported programs that are have been shown to be um, have efficacy and are uh, very well suited to things like a school environment um, where you could actually get in there, address these issues. Um, And one piece I didn't mention is that youth in Oregon have twice the depression rate as adults in Oregon. And I already told you that we are 50 out of 50. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's extremely bad. We also have pretty high suicide rates in Oregon. And so those are definitely issues that can be addressed at the federal level, at least in part, to help the local level. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So you mentioned back before we turned the radio on that you were, uh, or turned the mics on, you were looking at getting your, you said you were going back to school for political science, or are you thinking about it? And then kind of just life got in the way. What, what got you um, interested in politics? You know, was there a particular issue or... Just this is kind of the time in life where it was it was good for you to jump in. You mean at this point in my life? Yeah. Or so you know what what got you started? 
in politics? Well, what made me interested in politics initially was just, um, so I was in the military, Mm -hmm. um, you know, so I was seeing a lot of sort of the inner workings of the government and how things, how bureaucracy worked. I was 19, you know, 20, 22. Um, So, you know, there were, there were a lot of things happening in our country at that time. And so that's, that's where it really kind of started for me. I didn't have a lot of exposure to politics when I was younger. And so um, at that point, that's when I first got interested in it. Um, but then, you know, life uh, just kind of led me to being a psychologist versus going into politics at that point in time. And so um, as a psychologist, like I was saying earlier, you know, advocacy is something that has always been important to me. And I think you can do that best at the policy level. Mm-hmm. You know, if you can change policy, you can affect everyone. Mm-hmm. Where if you're, it's absolutely important to work at the individual level, which is what I do as a psychologist. But to do the advocacy piece, I think is where you really affect people overall. And so it can affect change for an entire community. That's, uh, we heard something similar. Uh, I remember in our episode with Lisa Reynolds, the the, the doctor who beat James in HD thirty six. Very close and, race. <laughs> <laughs> you covered the spread. You covered the fifteen percent that you got. But I, she was she was kind enough to come on our show, and she had talked about it, her. I just talked about guns, and her issue was gun advocacy. And I we mm-hmm. I think all disagreed a little bit with some of her takes on that one, but that's okay. Um, still front of the pod. Happy she came on. But she said something similar. She said, "I you know I've been part of." the the mom's demand action and mm-hmm. I you know I've been part of you know working with kids whatever mm-hmm. and it's it's one thing to work from the outside in and it's another thing to kind of be on the inside and mm-hmm. try you know try to affect positive change at a, at a much larger level yeah. and it sounds like that's you know that's the route that you're going to go and it sounds like you're going to have a great opportunity to to hopefully do so one of the unique things about running uh, you know certainly running for congress is is a a whole ball of wax in and of itself, mm-hmm. but running for Congress in a new district, mm-hmm. there's not the opportunity to say, you know, the last guy who was in here was a schmuck, and so we, you know, we need to boot him out or something like that. Or, I and I right now, I think on the other side, Loretta Smith has declared, mm-hmm. Andrea Salinas has declared. I'm, you know, I'm sure maybe one or two others, maybe one or two other Republicans as well. But how do you kind of go and broadcast a message for? a district that didn't exist in the last election and there's not really anybody to kind of like, you know, make the bad guy. So I don't, I don't feel like you have to make people bad guys in order to win. So, you know, this district is one that I think I'm especially well suited to. So of the six counties in this district, I have lived in five of them. And Mm -hmm. the one I didn't live in is where I went to to graduate school. So George Fox. Mm -hmm. So is in Yamhill County. And so I went to school there for five years. I also worked there in that community for three years. So I have a lot of experience in all six of these counties. Um, And, you know, I was their neighbor. You know, these are places that I shopped, that I lived, that I, you know, am raising my family. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm very familiar with what's going on in these communities. And for the communities that maybe I haven't been in as much of recently, Mm -hmm. I'm reacquainting myself with those communities and really just, and, you know, as a psychologist, my job is people. Mm -hmm. And, Mm -hmm. and that's how I'm running this campaign, you know, and that's why I'm doing it. It's for this country. It's for the people in this country. And 
that's my motivation. I don't want my children, I don't want my neighbor's children growing up in a, in a country that is socialist and that is communistic. Uh, you know, as an intelligence analyst, I saw what happened to those communities. I saw what happened to those people and how their lives were degraded mm -hmm. because of that. And I'm not willing to let that happen on my watch. My wife is Romanian, and so we talk with a lot of, I mean, so, you know, she's she's my age a little bit younger and so didn't really live under Ceausescu in the, the mm -hmm. or at least not for a, a large portion, but her, her parents did, and yeah. a lot of the people in her church did, and uh, I think I've told this story on, on the podcast before, but uh, during the COVID lockdowns, you know, when mm -hmm. everything shut down for, at the very beginning, you know, everybody mm -hmm. kind of took, took a step back, mm -hmm. and then slowly and surely things came back, or whatever, after a couple of weeks, they all just went back to church because they're like, mm -hmm. I've seen this movie before. Yeah. I know what happens when they start telling you you can't go to church and mm -hmm. we're just going to do it. And if they, you know, if they're going to come at us and throw us in jail, you know, been through that before. Right. So very interesting. The, the uh, Dimitri, um, you know, Dimitri with Slavic Vote. He's a friend. Hopefully I'll meet him. Oh, well. <laughs> it's, it's on my to-do list to reach out to them because I would love. Yeah. Soshenko. Dimitri yeah. Soshenko. Yeah. yeah. Um, they also have a pod. Yes. Get a little cross podination there going on. We can find yeah. a way to make that happen. Another, the, the Slavic community also. Yeah. So I, I um, very conservative, very individual liberties, very interesting people to talk to because they've experienced this. Right. And, you know, going back to your experience in the military. So I was in the army for eight years. Um, and if you want an example of a socialist regime, mm -hmm. just look at the military. Mm -hmm. And... You know, the, the military works because the goal is not to make money. You don't need to worry about things like profit and loss and taxation and whatever. Uh, your your goal is to accomplish a mission and it works very well for accomplish, accomplishing that mission. But when you have a very top-down, mm -hmm. very regimented, you know, universal health care, you get all your food taken care of, you get to your, your uh, housing taken care of, you get everything taken care of for you. And they do that so that you can, you know, focus on the mission. You try to apply that model to anything that's not regimented like the military. And uh, I, I could not imagine trying to impose that and having it work with American citizens. I mean, you, you see people, it, we're just culturally it would never it would never work yeah. it, well and i don't know about when you were in but i can yeah. tell you when i was in you know there were master sergeants that were on welfare oh wow i know at one point um my husband and i we were both senior airmen we were enlisted mm -hmm. and so um we were making nine dollars an hour wow. so wow and and we had it really good because we were a military plus military couple, mm -hmm. you know, so being dual military, uh, we made more than a lot of people um, that we were in the same situation with. But, you know, in that kind of environment, like you're talking about, you know, you don't necessarily, you're not making the highest pay. Yeah. You know, you don't, now, yeah, you get some housing provided. Uh, we actually lived off base, but, um, you know, you might have housing provided, but it might not be the best housing. <laughs> Yeah, right? it's, it's whatever and they give you. It's yeah. what they give you. And, and that's you lose choice. So, mm -hmm. you know, one of the one of the big things that I tried to advocate for and push for when I was in the military was them actually doing um, testing that had to do with aptitude. So not just aptitude testing like they do, but mm -hmm. something that has to do also with your personality so they could see where a best fit would be. Mm -hmm. And I was told, uh, no, thank you, senior airman. Um, <laughs> and that was one of the things that motivated me to become a psychologist because mm -hmm. I said, you know what? 
I'm going to get educated and I'm going to show you how this really should work. And my life took me in a different direction, obviously, but that was one yeah. of the things that motivated me. That's a really good point. Whenever the government gives you something, it removes mm-hmm. that choice. It removes and, freedom. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, in certain cases, I like to use the fire department as a good example. I don't really need a choice when it comes to the fire department. You know, I don't need to look up Yelp reviews when my house is on fire, right. <laughs> you know, and find the best fire department in a competing capitalist system. So that <laughs> Nick's over there laughing very quietly. Well, in the car on the way down here, we had this, we had a longer conversation about Google and AdWords and SEO and everything. Yeah. And I can just imagine, you know, what the Newburg fire department would pay to have its ad versus the <laughs> County fire department, you know, something like that. It's just like, no, no, no. Our water is four degrees colder. you like four, right. five, 4.9 out of five stars. Yelp verify. Like we're, we're the best fire department that we've got. Like there's, <laughs> There, there are government services that are needed and that are necessary. But yeah, you, you take and that's you know where that line is between what should be government provided and what should be you know individual. Right. Um, you know, that, I guess that's that's a matter of of perspective or a matter of opinion. Yeah. But so, I think it's important to acknowledge that you, when you give something over to the government, you're taking they're taking a little bit of your freedom along with it, even if that's a good thing. Exactly. I mean, like they choose your job. Yep. They choose where you live. Mm-hmm. They choose um, whether or not your family gets to come with you. Yeah. yeah. They choose what you eat. They choose how long you have to eat. I cannot tell you <laughs> <laughs> the conversations that other girls and I had in basic training when, you know, we had been conditioned to eat an entire meal in three minutes. And we were like, we're never going to get to date again. <laughs> <laughs> See, I did the opposite. I lost weight in basic training. Um, I just had not worked out six days a week my entire life. So anyway. So I'd be curious to know, we, um, you, you've obviously got an incredibly impressive CV and there is unfortunately in Oregon myriad issues that need to be addressed by mm-hmm. competent, professional, caring individuals. Right. And I think at, at, at all levels, you have a, a dearth of that. If we can be frank in Oregon, there's just, I mean, you, you mentioned mm-hmm. 50th out of 50 and the mm-hmm. youth depression and it's just like, there's, we all know how poorly PERS is doing. We mm-hmm. all know how bad, you know, the, the tax structure is here in Oregon, how much we all pay and tie everything. For somebody with the the unique experiences and, and accolades and education, how is it that you chose to 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 best you know uh, address the issues at a federal level to 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 jump in with instead of going uh if i may the more traditional route and running for you know a, a local city council seat or a local state rep seat first i think it goes back to what i said earlier that you know if you're going to affect something then you do it at the big level you do it and so if and and yes that would serve I would serve one community mm-hmm. if I ran for city council or, you know, I would serve just Oregon if I ran for state legislature. But by going for U.S., then I'm not just serving Oregon. I'm serving all of America. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's what I've done my entire career. You mm-hmm. know, when I was serving veterans, you know, I wasn't just serving the veteran in front of me. I was serving all the veterans yeah. that were associated, right? And when I was in the military, I wasn't just serving my base. I served our entire nation. And it wasn't just serving our nation here. It was serving our n- interest abroad. Mm-hmm. So that's just how I'm wired to think. 
So I'm just yeah. curious a little the nuts and bolts of this of this race a little bit. You don't have to get too deep into the into the strategy, but um, have other Republicans filed for this seat or are you the okay? There have been other Republicans that have filed, yes. Okay. I know that there's a couple a couple Democrats. I don't know. What do you uh, what do you think your chances are? You know, I think I am uniquely suited for this position. Uh-huh. Like I said, I am probably the only candidate that you will find who has, you know, experience, that much experience with all six of the counties that are being served by this um, position. Um, I Well, you're the only one that I've seen at a couple of events that I've been to. So I don't know what everyone else is doing, but you're you're making your way around the state and, and meeting people. And and so good on you for for meeting people and yeah. going out and doing things. Yeah. When I commit I, to something, I commit. And like I told you, I, I mean, I only knew my husband for two and a half months when I married him. But when I committed, <laughs> man, that was it. <laughs> we were we were in for it. And we are committed. That was it. We are committed. That was it. Got it. Oh, my gosh. So it's like, what, a D plus one or something? So basically a toss up, right? It's or a it's a very shallow pretty, D. Pretty, yeah. Yeah. Shallow D. Yeah. Okay. District. Yeah. Um, I'd love to know. So I, so when I when I graduated college, mm-hmm. I actually I went to D.C. to go work for a congressman, and it's um, it's funny because when you you get there, there's Republicans and Democrats, mm-hmm. but I think the far more divisive issue is: Are you a House side person or a Senate side person? I have friends mm-hmm. on the Senate side, and they're like, "You congressional, you have to run every two years. You have to, you know, raise all this money. We are the we're the uh, elite intelligent senators, and we looked at." Congress as mm-hmm. this is somewhere you can go to actually get things done and like mm-hmm. if you have an idea you can actually put it out there and find a couple mm-hmm. people to work with and go through and get it done yeah and on the Senate you have to get buy-in from all the committee chairs and the, it's just it's slower than molasses and everything so you, you end up getting you know very divisive partisan sides not on the R&D partisan but the 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 S or C partisan um, are there any presumably all republicans but i you know if there's anybody that you like on the other side that's great too uh, is there any other any elected uh congressmen who whom you feel are you know good individuals to emulate or people that you're looking forward to working with uh dan crenshaw okay mm. texas the texas boy <laughs> yep so you know he is just an inspiration you know okay. i love his story i love his um his boldness member as well yeah yeah yep. that you know he he i think really gets the heart of the people and, you know, when you look at his information, he is all about the people. And so um, that's what I really like about him. You know, someone who's not there for self-serving interests, but that is there to serve. And, and that's really what this is for me. This is this is about serving my country. Yeah. Um, and like I said, something I've done my whole life. It is not um, something that's new to me. This is not um, something that I think would be... I don't think this has been a surprise to anyone who knows me. Um, they might be a little surprised I'm running for Congress versus another <laughs> versus another uh, office, but you know, um, I have a heart for service, and and that's mm-hmm. really what this is about. And you know, we have so much history of having politicians um, versus people that are in it to serve. Citizen servants, and, and that yeah. one, well, and that's the idea. The whole like, we. I know I've said it to James. I'll say it to you since we're sitting here. Thank you for your service. Mm-hmm. But we, anybody who served in the military, is always looked at with his like, wow, you know, this person put his or her life on hold for several years, or for mm-hmm. for maybe an entire career to to make the world safe for democracy, make the United States a better. Mm-hmm. 
more free, more secure place to live so that all of us can go out and, you know, do whatever crazy things we like, like record podcasts on Monday nights. And it, like we have the ability to go do that. a lot of countries. You don't have the, uh, the ability to go do that. Right. Well, but, and especially when you have when you once you introduce communism, you know, when you're talking about, um, you know, curfews. And you're talking mm-hmm. about, you know, being limited in what your choices are as far as um, who you associate with and what kind of occupation you have, how many children you have, mm-hmm. um, where your children go to school. And, you know, there's so much that I think is trying to be introduced and it's being slowly crept in. Um, and, you know, we're seeing it with our kids in school right now. We're seeing it with, you know, what happened during COVID, um, you know, why do we still have food shortage shortages and we are, you know, 20 months in Yeah, and things like that, um, which are just mind boggling to me when we live in such a fertile valley and there are farms literally all around us. Mm-hmm. Should we have any problem getting produce? Yeah, yeah. yeah, right. Well, and especially I, and it's one of those, when the pandemic started, it's just like, okay, this is, you know, unprecedented since the Spanish mm-hmm. flu. We, we all got to do something. And everybody at every level, regardless of your party, was just a throwing stuff, right. throwing the kitchen sink at the wall, whatever. We got to do something to figure it out. And then we started and we and it, and moved forward, moved forward. Moved, and it's just like, that, all right, now we know a lot more about it. Yeah. Why aren't we doing this in a little bit better of a manner? So I think things could have happened a lot faster if we would have been open to conversation from everyone. But that's not what happened. Mm-hmm. What happened was people would throw out ideas and people would say, ah, you're a conspiracy theorist. And <laughs> you can't talk about that. When, you know, if we just, we used to look at things as every idea was a legitimate idea. We used to call them brainstorming. Do you remember that in college? Like we had brainstorming (laughs) sessions and, but now the idea of actually thinking about and talking about and legitimately looking at everything and throwing everything on the wall and not saying anything is stupid, but exploring it, you know, used to be a thing in America. You know, I've I've said it before. And I think one of the biggest problems, one of the biggest issues we had or uh, mess ups of the whole pandemic was putting Fauci on TV. The way that I see it, and this is going back to my military experience. I was, I was a captain. I was on battalion staff for a while. The way I see it, Fauci is like your S2. He's like your intelligence officer. And, you know, your intelligence officer can be really, really good at intelligence, but knows nothing about operations, knows mm-hmm. nothing about logistics, knows nothing about personnel, knows nothing about, I mean, he's, he's, he's a virologist. Mm-hmm. And so what you do in the military is all these different, ex, these, these subject matter experts then inform the commander mm-hmm. what they're, from their, from their point of view, mm-hmm. then the commander takes all those things in, into, um, into consideration and makes a decision. In this case... Fauci is the the virologist, but he doesn't know anything about economics. Mm-hmm. You know, he doesn't know anything about mental health. He doesn't know anything mm-hmm. about, you know, schools and all of the other things that were the, the just the logistics, supply yeah. lines. Mm-hmm. I mean, I could have told you at the beginning and I'm not an expert by any means, but I could I said it at the very beginning of this podcast, like we're going to have supply shortages mm-hmm. because they you shut everything down and it things don't just show up. And this right. is this is sort of the urban rural thing as well. You know, Portland will get up on their high horse about uh, certain things and I'm like you know rural people or we subsidize Eastern Oregon or whatever mm-hmm. I was like you know you your your grocery store like your food doesn't come from a grocery store it, it comes by, to, a by store. to a grocery <laughs> store and if those supply lines get cut you got three days of supply mm-hmm. and in three days you will have no food on your on your shelves mm-hmm. so if we built a wall around Portland and stopped all transit coming in and out or out 
who do you who do you think it lasts longer? Who, who wins on that one? Yeah, East, Eastern Oregon lasts a lot longer than Portland does. So shut up about your subsidizing the rest of the state. It's more like a trade imbalance. The money goes out of Portland, but the food comes in, mm-hmm. and all the everything else that's consumed in Portland goes in. So um, you you if you give your S two the ability to make all of the decisions for your battalion, you're gonna have a bad time, right? Because that, or your S3 or your S6 or, and you know, military terminology here, but you take one of your, one of your subject matter experts and make them, let them make decisions for the entire thing. Yeah. But this is, you know, this is the military. You can't just tell Fauci to go sit down. You know, once you put a microphone in his face, mm-hmm. you know, everybody's, the, the press is going to go to him and, you know, and, and nothing against Fauci. He's doing what he's, he's trained to do. What he's he doing does. what he, he's doing what he's supposed to yeah. do, which is focus on the virus and focus on virology. And he's very, very good at that. He knows nothing about all of these other things that are now affecting us. Right. And so we listened to one staff member when we should have been listening to all of them, and and it should have been you know going up and our leaders making a decision based on all inputs mm-hmm. rather than just just one. Absolutely. So yeah. It's not his fault. I think it's it's something that that Trump messed up. Um, probably not intentionally, but you know, or whoever, whoever gave him that first microphone. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so you actually just touched on something that I think is kind of interesting. Um, there are four congressional districts that sneak and crawl their way into Portland and you've got a pretty good mix of, you've got a little bit of urban, but you've got a lot of rural. There's going to be there, you know, some density issues, some urban issues, but there's going to be a lot of ag issues, going to be a lot of water issues that come up here. Absolutely. Obviously, you're the wine capital of the state. You're going to, the wine capital in the world, I'll argue, don't let's show this podcast anywhere from California. <laughs> or but, France or, or Italy. Or France. <laughs> those, those people, those people. If there's some Italian that's tuning into this podcast, like this is his first episode, I like, boy howdy, that's, I, welcome, welcome to the club. I, I apologize. I, I'll buy you a Chianti or something. Um, but h- how do you look to kind of balance that in a, in an effective way because i from from where we sit in portland like it's it's very clear that the imbalance between urban oregon and rural oregon is is it's real schismatic yeah. if yeah. that can be a word yeah and you know i think there's a lot of there are a lot of different values um but i think there's also a lot of similar ones mm-hmm. and so i think if we're looking for you know what's the same um you know, there's kids everywhere, right? Mm-hmm. Everyone loves their kids. They want the best for their kids. So, you know, let's focus on kids. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, everyone's being affected by the economy. You know, who isn't being touched by inflation right now? Yep. Mm-hmm. You know, and we've got to do something to manage that. You know, I don't think passing another multi-trillion dollar uh, spending bill is going to help with that. Um, actually, I'm pretty sure the experts have said it won't. Um, so, um, you know... There are things that are going to be common to all of us, Um, you know, and if they're and even those there's some of those issues that might be um, more skewed towards, you know, the rule than the the urban, you know, like I think. Uh, immigration is one of those things that definitely touches more of the rural communities mm-hmm. more so than it does the the urban communities because of the agriculture. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I think we can speak to all of that. But even though that in, in that particular realm, that's more of a, a rural issue versus an urban issue, it's not that 
people that live in urban areas don't care about it. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Um, and, and there's certainly things about that that we can look at, like, um, I can't think about, you know, what's been happening on the border without thinking about human trafficking, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, if people care about their kids, they're going to care about human trafficking. You know, we have a slavery issue going on right mm-hmm. now in America, and we need to wake up to that and we need to do something about it. And so part of that is managing immigration. Mm. And so, you know, if you care about um about people you're going to care about immigration mm-hmm. and you're going to care about stopping human trafficking mm-hmm. when you have people coming across the border without any kind of documentation or checking or anything yeah it's some of them are going to be carried against their will absolutely like just and we have a lot of evidence that it's happening yeah. and you know if you talk to any of the da's the sheriffs the the judges um like i have They'll tell you, we have an issue with human trafficking, with slavery here in America. And, you know, we're not addressing it as a people. And, you know, I I think it's something that I think we need to start using that word. You know, I think human trafficking sounds too nice. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, it down to the bones of it, it is it is slavery Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and that we have slavery happening. And it's not it's not. far away. This isn't happening in another county, in another state, in another country. This is happening the next street over. I, a friend of mine, um, I don't want to say her name because I didn't get her permission, but runs a, a charity called Expose Hope, which uh, fights human trafficking in mm-hmm. mostly Beaverton, Hillsboro, you know, mm-hmm. Portland metro area, mm-hmm. and has uh, has been doing this for years. And we'll talk to you about how a lot of times they're using the strip clubs as a, a way to either recruit or, you know, sell women into into yeah. prostitution and um we need to get her on she's a republican i anyway um well, and <laughs> side I, note <laughs> i was just talking you know there was um there was a group there were two groups actually down at the capitol um this past weekend i was there with them hmm. talking about um what happens in human trafficking and really just giving the the honest view of how they got trafficked um there were two women there actually all three women that spoke there, um, other than me, um, had been trafficked um, or had had an attempted trafficking of wow. either them or their child. Mm. And so, and these are, this are these are women that were here on American streets. Yeah. One was literally taken off of the street. Wow. Kidnapped, thrown into a trunk. Jeez. And like you say, to have to to be able to have conversations about stuff like that and see <laughs> nothing get done about it from a, right. a legislative or a policy making perspective, when that's a very serious endemic ongoing problem is certainly just frightening right and to know that there have been um you know we know of you know what just under two hundred thousand kids that have come across the border unaccompanied those are the ones we Mm -hmm. know about Mm -hmm. right what's going to happen to them and some of them are toddlers you know we're never going to get them back to their families yeah and we don't even know how they came to be you know, where they were, you know, where they sold. We don't know. You know, that yeah. happens here on our streets. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I can tell you, you know, I've had clients that, you know, their parents sold them. Jeez. You know, these are issues that happen every day in America that people underestimate are actually going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's a little bit of 
I don't know, the classism is the right word, but I, I think of this the podcast we did on prison reform a while back, and it's I feel like it's one of those those problems that everybody kind of knows is happening, mm-hmm. but the people in charge are upper middle class, and it doesn't really affect anybody that I know, mm-hmm. and so the the it's it's like a it's like a poor people problem, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, and and it's not, but it's it's like I don't know anybody who's been trafficked. Um, I, I know a handful of people who have been in prison, but not very many. Yeah. You know, and so this this is a problem that, that doesn't really largely affect me or the people that I deal with on a, on a mostly daily basis. Well, I'm going to challenge that a little bit because okay. one of the women who gave her story, her father was a VP of a Fortune 500 company. Oh, really? And she was taken, like I said, she was taken off the streets and thrown into a trunk. Wow. At the age of 14. Wow. Oh. Well, okay. Yeah. yeah. So we might not know it. You right. know, all we know is that a child's gone missing. Sure. And we might consider them a runaway, or we never know what happens. Right. But oftentimes, it's going to be that they were taken. And and so one of the women told a story about how, you know, once she had been taken and groomed, then they would force her to go out and groom other girls and, and boys and pull them into this. And so... Well, if you read the yeah. look at the, what Jeffrey Epstein would do that, yeah. you know, that's he would get high school girls to go out and recruit other high school girls to mm-hmm. to go find people. Yeah, it's it's sick what people will do. Yeah. So And these are our children, we've got to save them. So how do you uh, how do you fix the immigration crisis in 5 minutes? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, you know, I think there are a number of things that we can do. So, you know, I don't think anyone really questions that the wall has been super effective. Mm-hmm. And for the areas that had it, much less crime, um, much less illegal immigration there. Um, so, you know, communities that don't have it, that are on the border, that are facing, um, you know, open firing, you know, on their back property, you know, I'm sure they might tell you that they want to have that wall finished. Um, and so, and I'll find out because I'm going down there in a couple of weeks. Oh, cool. Um, and so, um, I'll report back to you on that one. But, <laughs> but you know, all the interviews that I've seen and when I hear people talking about, you know, my community went from being a safe community to being one that now is no longer safe. I can't let my kids outside. I'm afraid to live here now. Um, and that's, and what we need to recognize is that that isn't just a border problem. Mm-hmm. It's an everywhere problem because this doesn't stay on the border. Um, you know, I think we all are aware that um, people are that are being, you know, caught um, are being sent throughout the country. Um, so mm-hmm. it ends up in our communities. But what about the ones that aren't caught? Right. Um, and we know that the policies that were in effect prior to January were really effective. And, you know, you can talk to the sheriffs they, and you can talk to what happened after, you know, before January and after January. They, they just reinstituted the uh, the stay in Mexico policy. I don't know right. if you saw that. I, I was did. Like, oh, interesting how the, the quick reversal on mm-hmm. that. Right. Um, but, you know, there's other things that we can do by, you know, fixing our immigration system so that way, you know, migrant workers that want to be here, mm-hmm. that our farmers are saying, look, we need to have this workforce because we can't find it here. And I think we all look around now, you know, anyone who's trying to hire, I can tell you, I've been trying to hire for a year and a half. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's difficult to find work. And so, but the agricultural community has been facing that for a lot longer. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I've talked to farmers that say, I'm spending 18 to $20,000 a year 
to legally bring people over from Central America. So what does that do to our cost of our produce? Um, You know, everything rises. Um, So, you know, there are simple things that we can do, like have work visas for these people mm-hmm. that want to be here for just a certain period of time. They want to work. And ma- they want to make them the considerably easier to get. Yeah, right, that's, exactly. That's the, yeah. Um, I, we alluded to earlier that we ran into each other at the mm-hmm. at the thing the conference in mm-hmm. Bend a couple weeks ago, and uh, I was on the the immigration plank mm-hmm. section. Yeah. So, and one of the ladies in there was um, owns a small family farm mm-hmm. somewhere in, in Oregon, and was making some of those exact same points yeah. and. I think it's super important to have people who've experienced that be able mm-hmm. to influence or at least um, be able to talk intelligently about mm-hmm. immigration. You know, you, you, you mentioned it's more of an urban rural thing. You know, people in, people in urban communities, people in Portland are all going to have an opinion about immigration, mm-hmm. right. but none of them really experience needing to hire labor, not being able to find anything. Right. And the only people you can find are, are these, you know, migrant workers. Right. Um, but the visas are incredibly hard to get mm-hmm. or they're expensive. And so the only people that or the only companies that really can can do the E-Verify and go through, jump mm-hmm. through all the hoops for mm-hmm. the most part mm-hmm. are these big conglomerate factory farms. And so the the smaller farms are kind of getting squeezed out because right. they don't have the infrastructure to bring up these guys. Right. And so either you, you let your produce die on the vine mm-hmm. or you way overpay mm-hmm. for local labor and then you're not profitable or you sell your farm to the big guy. Well, and what I've heard um, farmers tell me is I didn't necessarily want to be a big farmer, Mm -hmm. but I had to become one in order to keep my family legacy going. Oh yeah. Because we couldn't maintain as a small farm any longer just because of the cost. So, you know, I, I think there it's all these issues are very complex, but I think we have solutions to them. We just have to be willing to work them. And, you know, like I said earlier, you know, it might be a little bit of an inflammatory statement, but, you know, if you're for open borders, you work for slavery. Hmm. It's as cut and dry as that because people are being brought over here as slaves. You know, look at what happened in Josephine County over the summer. You know, there was an illegal grow operation being run by a cartel and there were 130 people that were caught in agricultural slavery. Hmm. They were being forced to work there. They had no way out. They were without water. They were without sewer. They were living in hobbles. They had no medical care. Hmm. And this is because we had this open border policy. Yeah. So I I think it's cut and dry. Yeah. I I think, I think there's enough. We we are such a great country. There are enough people that want to move here. Mm -hmm. I think we should me personally getting my my views in here uh raise the limits allow more people in but make sure that they're vetted make sure that they go through the proper channels mm-hmm. i think one of the problems that we have that has caused this is we have very 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 strict rules regarding immigration and then nobody follows them mm-hmm. so <laughs> if you if you loosen up the rules a little and not not the rules exactly but like the the quotas you know mm-hmm. loosen that up a little bit so you can take, you know, you match your supply and demand. You have this huge demand of people trying to mm-hmm. come into the country. Raise your supply a little bit so you can allow more people in legally. Then you're going to have, you're not going to have 10 year waits on a waiting list. You're not going to have people, you know, hanging out at the border for weeks trying to get, you know, living under a bridge trying to get their their refugee status looked at. So I think this goes back to um, what I consider 
and a crisis that we're having with intelligence. Hmm. Um, not not smarts intelligence. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. But, I mean um, that too. So. <laughs> but you know, intelligence related to our national security. So if we don't know who's coming into our country, then we don't know what their intentions are towards our country. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you listen to any of the the speeches by our Homeland Security guys or by our Border Patrol, you know, they're saying, we know people are coming over from other nations and funneling through the border. We know what's happening. We can track when they come in. We know these are terrorists. Hmm. And so if we're allowing terrorists to just come in and have free reign in our country, we have no idea where they're at. You know, if you look at the crime reports from the Border Patrol and the people that they have um, been arresting, you know, known gang members, murderers, rapists, and these mm-hmm. are all people that those were just the ones they caught. Mm-hmm. What about the ones that are coming into your community li- at the house next door? Yeah. Living next to your child. You know, yeah. we need to think about those things. Yeah, no, it's it's definitely a... It ends up just being such a, a massive problem that infects so many other areas. I mean, we talked mm-hmm. about human trafficking and the, the, the incident in Josephine County. It hits mm-hmm. the agricultural community, too. Mm-hmm. And especially, it's definitely, it makes it problematic for the, um, the, the vast majority of people who do want to immigrate to the United States mm-hmm. because they want to find good, honest work. They want to come over here and, you know, start right. the next Facebook or you know, feed their family, you know, anything. And they have a thousand different things because I, because we are the greatest country on the world. We, we you know, we, it's no surprise mm-hmm. that everybody else is going to want to come here. But when you do have individuals coming here, A, the wrong way or B, who are coming here for nefarious reasons to recruit Wait, gang we, members, traffic, everything like that. It's just, it, yeah. it, it ruins it and it makes it so much, that much more difficult for everybody else. Well, I think and the we, left just assumes that everyone coming over is coming over just to, to feed their families and get a better life for themselves. Yeah. And the vast majority are, I would, I would assume. But the fact is, you're right. We just don't know because we're not tracking any of it. We're well, not we, we do know it. now because we are tracking well, <laughs> right. you know, And we've seen, we've seen the evidence right, of right. it and not, since and not, January. Not we've seen everyone. crime go up. We've seen um, drug use, um, you know, the opioid yeah. crisis get worse. We've seen things hmm. like these illegal grow operations get worse. Um, and those things have real effects on the communities that they're happening in. Yeah. You know, there's they're harming their neighbors. They're affecting, um, you know, water issues, which we already have um, mm. issues for Pretty the agriculture. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. you know, it affects all areas of life. So this is not just an immigration issue. Right. Agreed. Well, we are just about out of time. And so I apologize. I didn't give you a heads up of this ahead of time. Usually we do. But um, one of the things we like to do with our guests when we end an episode is ask the question, um, who is your favorite Republican? Do you have a favorite Republican? I will go with Ronald Reagan. Okay, perfect. It's yeah. a good one. It's yeah. a good one. Definitely a, a a solid answer and a solid leader that I feel like he just, his brand of leadership is just something that's, uh, however far, you know, left, right, or center, it's just something you don't see anymore. And it's just, uh, it's unfortunate. It's a loss for the the country, the state, the, you know, anybody at any level running for office. It's like you you do well if you acted a lot more like the Gipper. Yep. Well, again, thank you so much for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. And uh, with that said, we'll, we'll end the show. And listeners, we'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to the Rational Republican Podcast. Your hosts are James Ball and Nick Perlosky. The show today is brought to you by ProLift Garage Doors of Portland, serving the greater Portland metro area for all your garage door installation and repair needs. If you'd like to get in touch with the show, you can email us at james at jamesaball.com or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. You can find our episodes at jamesaball.com, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts.